This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This is it, man. Welcome to the last episode of 2020. I'm Joe Salci. I average Joe money on Twitter and across the card table from me, the guy I started talking to before I started talking to everybody. This is it, man. What's up? This is the last episode of 2020. I would say it could, didn't come fast enough, but, um, you know, out of every uh, volcano eruption, there's an island. Don't you is that think, an analogy that we can use? I don't know. If, if you were lucky enough to have a steady income source this year and to be healthy, I think this was a year that one of the lessons were how much the people closest to me meant to me, how life goes on, how we can still operate. And, and I have to tell you that from all the trials and tribulations of 2020 OG, looking back on my personal year, it was a weird year. It was at times an awful year, but I feel very close to the people around me because we made it through it. Oh, thanks. Or oh, you weren't talking. Oh, was about- I talking about you? I'm sorry. Yes, and you as well. And me. Hey, Stacker, some great news in our family. My nephew Colin just returned home from a submarine tour and is safely back home here during the holiday season. My brother Tony said that they got to speak on the phone for a few hours. First time Colin has been away from home in, well, his whole life, especially during the holiday season, thinking of him. Here at the end of the year, by the way, Navy Federal and our Stacking Benjamins team would like to salute not just Colin, but all of our troops who've kept us safe this year. Thanks to Navy Federal for not only supporting our troops, but who support our troops who are all hoping to not just keep us safe, but stack a few Benjamins on their own in the process. Thanks for all you do, members of our armed forces, and we're thinking about you here during the holidays. So we've got um, the socially distanced Zoom party going on tonight, and maybe, maybe tomorrow, actually, tomorrow we're going to record our Magic 8-Ball episode. Ooh, one of my favorites. Brand new show happens. We're going to bring it on New Year's Day, guys. One of our top shows every year. We look into the Magic 8-Ball that Len Penzo has and see what is going to happen in the new year and go back and look at how good the eight ball was the year before at predicting. Always right. Well, the first few years, remember it was on fire and then it was on fire in a different way. It was a dumpster fire and uh, we'll see if it can regain its confidence that it had back in the day. But before we get to that, we've got one more episode to round out this year. We've been doing a top seven list, our seven quirkiest episode guests on the show. And certainly uh, the guests themselves aren't necessarily quirky, but the topics were. At number seven, we talked to a financial spy, a forensic accountant, goes and looks at bad guys by looking at receipts and, and records. 
At number six, how to live a longer, more fulfilling life, the study of nuns and why they live longer than the average person in the population. Number five, lessons we can learn from dominatrixes. Number four, a New York City marathon, 3,100 miles around one New York City block and what financial lessons we learned there. Number Probably not 3,100 miles though. No, it was 3,100 miles. Did you listen? It was 3,100 miles. It took all summer long to run. You ran 3,100 miles? <laughs> they ran 3,100 miles, yes. I feel like you're making this up. I should go back. <laughs> you were there when we made it, and you were there a couple days ago. Number three, Abigail Adams, Financial Badass, one of our favorite quirky historical shows. Number two, yesterday, Life is an Art Forger, and our number one most quirky episode. And I have to tell you, I have a personal connection here because did you ever see Smokey and the Bandit? A lot of these same stars were in uh, Smokey and the Bandit, which started in uh, Texarkana trying to illegally transport 400 cases of Coors beer from, from Texarkana to Atlanta. Uh, some, some funny stuff back from 1977. But the Cannonball Run record is driving illegally from New York to L.A. faster than anybody ever has. Automotive expert in the Atlanta area, Ed Bolian, uh, did it. He was one of a crew of two who did it, and he was nice enough to come on the show and talk about how he did it. Back in the day, by the way, this is 2014, we'd do our roundtable episodes on the same exact show as we'd have our guests on. So you're also going to hear Sandy Smith uh, from Yes, I Am Cheap join Len and Paula to talk about 33 reasons your finances are a mess. Suzanne Lucas, the evil HR lady, we packed a lot into this one. She had a horror story about 401k loans. Also remember here that uh, this episode is from 2014. So we tried to scrub it up and get rid of any of the rules that no longer apply, but there might be one or two still in there. So realize you're listening to an old episode of the Stacky Benjamin show. All right. Is that enough? That's enough. Time to go. Party hats are on. Happy new year, everybody from OG and I, this is our number one quirkiest topic on the Stacky Benjamin show, February 17th, episode 42, planning to break a speed record with that bullion. Press it. Hey, shake and bake, Al. Woo! Shake and bake. Live from my parents' basement, this is the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe Saul Cihai, Average Joe on our blog, and with my partner in crime, the other guy, we operate this super secret podcast about earning, saving, and spending with a plan. You'll find notes for our show at stackingbenjamins.com. Send all emails with questions, comments, or souped-up car parts to joe at stackingbenjamins.com. On today's show... Ed Bullion joins us in the basement. He broke the cannonball run record. We'll be talking to him about exactly how he drove breakneck speed across country. The evil HR lady is back. Suzanne Lucas talks a special kind of evil, 401k loans. Our roundtable tackles 33 reasons why your portfolio is a flippin' mess. We go over your letters, ETFs in a 401k. Pinch me. I must be dreaming. It's another episode of Stacking Benjamins. 
And here joining me in the basement. Dude, that's a hell of a commute. It's the one, the only, the Len Penzo. Oh, my God. My arms are tired. Yeah, that was awful flight. Flapping, <laughs> getting over here. But Let it is, And it is cold here. Now, we always say that PK is asleep by the water heater. Look over there. Oh, you're, you weren't kidding. <laughs> I was not kidding. You were not kidding. And it's amazing. Wait until he does his, well, he's not doing a segment because Evil HR Lady is going to smack him around and she's taking his place this week. So <laughs> anyway, what are you up to, man? You're here? You're in Texarkana? Good work. Yeah, I've just been so busy and it's been a hellish week. Yeah, that's bad, isn't it? That's why only a few of us work for the man. Yeah, and flying over here just made it that much more hellish. So <laughs> hopefully you're going to make this as pleasant as possible. Well, for me but you're today, in the beautiful Joe. town of Texarkana. I get to show you both restaurants after we're done, which will be awesome. Maybe. Yeah, is there a Chinese joint here? What's that? You, you Chinese? Know, uh, th- not, this is the heart of Chinese cuisine, isn't it? I don't know if you know this, but we're in North Texas. There's a little Mexican food. So Te- maybe just a little Tex-Mex. Can I deviate here a little bit from your tightly scripted show, <laughs> yeah, Joe? that's right. So when I was probably eight years old, my folks, we were driving cross country and we stopped in Amarillo, Texas. And I remember I was probably eight years old, seven years old, and we stopped for dinner and we went into the restaurant and spaghetti was on the menu. And so what did little Len get? Little Len ordered spaghetti. Bring it on. So they come, they cooked it up and brought it to our table and put it in front of me and I ate it. And I started, it was like, it was the hottest freaking spaghetti (laughs) I like spit it out. My mom and dad are like, what's the matter? What's the matter? I'm like, this is the worst. You call this spaghetti? My dad tasted it. And he was like, what the hell is this? And the waitress is like, what, what, what? Your face is bright red. Yeah. Because of the chilies. It's like, what? It's spaghetti. Yeah. Come on. You got to have it Texas style. Absolutely, Texas, man. Tex-Italian, I guess you call it. That's not Tex-Mex, but... Back from the first week of February, we have some news. You know how cutting edge we are <laughs> with our news around here. Of course, if there's oh, anything yeah. newsworthy in financial planning, 99% of the time, unless it's a Bernie Madoff situation, there's nothing you need to know right, right now. So this still is timely. And that's in the last couple of weeks, Schwab, Charles Schwab, the discount brokerage firm, launched a low-cost ETF 401k platform. And what does that mean? That means that your 401k that has all kinds of mutual funds in it might finally now have exchange-traded funds in it. That's a long time coming, Len. You know what? I think that it is a long time coming. And and I'll tell you, as a frustrated 401k holder myself, it's kind of exciting, actually. Yeah, because you look at the fees between even a low-cost mutual fund, right? I mean, a low-cost mutual fund might have a third of a percent as a fee. You get to some of these S&P 500 ETFs, those are 0.1%. I mean, you're saving a ton of money by having these things. Yeah, you know, they said uh, basically this is going to save you 90% or more on fees for an actively managed fund or 30% or more using index mutual funds, a 401k that uses those. So, yeah, it is going to save a lot of money. But you know what really gets me excited about that? And correct me if I'm wrong here, Joe, but if I read this correctly, they said they're going to allow commission-free intraday investing with these ETFs. Is that exciting or does that frustrate you as a guy that – do you manage people? I manage people, yes. You know, in my limited 401k plan, I could only manage my fund every 15 days. Really? Otherwise, I was penalized 2.5%. 
So I could rebalance or I could swap out my investments out of different options and move them around. Then I had to wait 15 days and it was a real pain. Yeah, but what happens for all those people around the nation? I mean, you walk over to some guy who's supposed to be busy doing some contract work and instead he's busy day trading his 401k. What do you do then? <laughs> I fire his ass. <laughs> I don't see any, no, but, I mean, no, do you see but, any reason why somebody needs to trade their 401k? I mean, it seems like Len, you buy a fund, right? You should keep it at least 15 days anyway. Well, yeah, but okay. But look, here's where I'm coming at it from. They said that basically I only have maybe six or seven or eight options in mine, right? Now let's assume I have what do they say in there? 1,500 or some ridiculous number of ETFs? I, well, I don't know what they're going to make available. Yeah, so I was going to say, just to be clear about that, they'll make that available to the employer, but then they'll charge the employer more to have more in them. So your cheap firm might still keep eight in there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, then maybe this isn't too exciting. But you know where one thing I think where they would actually help us, for example, I'm probably thinking like precious metal ETFs, although I don't recommend them. But I don't know how many 401k plans have precious metals at all, an option. But with these ETFs, I can see that as an option in there. Yeah. Well, so. let's actually talk about that, about indexing gone too far. John Bogle, the gentleman who founded Vanguard Funds, they had a great interview with him saying that indexing has gone too far. And what's funny is, Len, when indexes first came out, you had the S&P 500, the Dow Jones, right? The Dow Jones, they call a diamond. The S&P 500 fund, the first one, they called a spider. And then they added the NASDAQ, which trades under ticker symbol QQQQ, so they call it the Qs. So you had these basic ones, but now you've got the Joe's Best Bet ETF, where he's day trading inside of his ETF. I mean, you got these really narrow things where indexing doesn't make much sense. I have a feeling we might end up seeing this in 401k sooner or later, too. Yes. Oh, gosh, I hate that beauty of the index funds is the broad-based, it's diversity in broad, and that gives you safety and a little more security and a little more stability, and there's a lot more room for error. Yeah, you get really narrow. The article, I believe, was talking about it, some cancer fund or something like that, right. where they were just investing in cancer technology. No, it, well, wasn't hey, even, that's... it wasn't even cancer. It was emerging cancer. <laughs> yes, emerging cancer. What a horrible that's, name. That's what it was. <laughs> Yeah. And I don't mean to make light of cancer, but the point is it was an extremely narrow area to have an index fund in and it went belly up actually. So yeah, not a shock there. I mean, we're definitely not making fun of cancer. We're making fun of the moron that thought that that was a great idea to create a fund yeah. that emerging Absolutely. cancer research would create. So when it comes to indexing, then I think then Len, the general rule is unless you really are just playing the horses, it's a better idea to stick with the broad-based indexes to reach your goals? Yes. If you're not familiar with investing or you don't want to take the risk, yep, yeah, stay in the index funds, the broad ones. I feel I'm a little more informed. I take time. I do some research. So I tend to mix things up a little more, but that's a risk that I take. If you're not comfortable with that kind of thing, put in the index funds and leave it alone and the broad-based ones. Hey, guess what, Len? We've got Ed Bolian upstairs. Guess what he does full-time? He sells Lamborghinis. What's a Lamborghini? Yeah, no idea. <laughs> I'm, sh I'm sure it's exactly like your Toyota sitting in their, your driveway. Yeah. Very a distant cousin. Maybe the better-looking cousin. 
Yeah, uh, I try not to look at those expensive cars. Well, he's about to tell us how he went across country to break the cannonball run record, but you have made several trips across country. Oh my gosh, I've made either as growing up, my family, we made multiple trips across country, at least four with my parents. And then once I had my family, I've done the same thing with my family. So we've gone on, I think, four cross country trips as well. Now he made Um, it in 28 hours. Uh, What? How long did it take you? I think it took us 28 hours just to get to Albuquerque. (laughs) My goodness. (laughs) Wow. He really did 28 hours. That's incredible. No, that's shoot. You know, you normally we're taking our time. We're seeing the giant balls of string on the side of the road and the Cadillacs buried in the ground, which ain't too far from where you live. Right, Joe? (laughs) And uh, stuff like that, going to the all those neat kind of things. So we take our time. I can't imagine that. 27 hours. 28. sleep? Well, let's ask him. Ed Bullion at the top of the stairs of mom. Let's say hello to Ed. Have you ever dreamt about driving across country? How about driving across country in just over 24 hours? Well, that's what Ed Bolian did. He is the new world record holder for the fastest drive from New York to Los Angeles, completing the trip in just over 28 fast hours. When he's not setting speed records, that is maybe the world's most awesome job as the Lamborghini sales director at Motor Cars of Georgia in Atlanta and blogs at edbolian.com. Welcome to the basement, Ed. Thank you, Joe. Good to be here. Man, so 28 hours across the United States. My friends call this the Cannonball Run Record. Is that the title you use? Sure. Well, that's always been the colloquial name. You know, originally in the early 70s, Brock Yates coined the name the Cannonball Baker Sea to Shining Sea Memorial Trophy Dash while he was working (laughs) at Car and Driver and promoting a similar event. When did the dream first start for you, Ed? Well, when I was a kid, I'd see those movies that were made in the 80s, the Hal Needham films, and just the whole idea of that great American road trip of getting out in a cool car and driving a long way as fast as you can for really no better reason than that was always the appeal. When I was a senior in high school, I was doing a project uh, researching automotive journalism, and I talked to Brock Yates, who at that point was kind of on the tail end of his career, and that was about 10 years ago. And I told him I just was endlessly fascinated with the idea of cannonball and that one day I wanted to break his records. And it took me about 10 years, but I did it. Was this your first attempt? It was. Now, I'd done a lot of long distance driving and some similar New York to L.A. rallies, one of which was on MTV back in 2004. But this was the first real attempt at breaking this record in one drive. We had done a lot of preparation and obviously been planning it for really in earnest for about four years, but this was the first attempt. That's why I love having you on because a lot of financial planning is about preparation and you just didn't set out one day. You know, you were sitting with a buddy of yours at the bar and go in New York and said, you know what we should do? We should drive to LA. You actually modified a car and put a lot of thought into it. Yeah, it's not really the kind of thing you say, let's do this tomorrow or a week from now. Everybody should find an excuse to go on a long road trip, like especially if it's not about the speed, because it's just a great way to experience our country. But to really do it like this, I mean, it took a lot of planning, a lot of strategy in terms of the timing, minimizing traffic and controlling all the variables. Now, I'm surprised that you didn't use a Lamborghini. Why did you choose a Mercedes? 
Well, I needed something that was comfortable because as much as I do love the Lamborghinis, they are not quite the road trip cars that we like them to be. <laughs> They're much more at home whizzing around a racetrack or a mountain road than sitting and supporting your back for hours on end. Well, tell me how you modified the Mercedes. What did you have to put into it to make it ready for this type of a trip? We looked at a lot of different cars to use, and so things like the Ferrari 612 or a Porsche Panamera, Bentley Continental GT, all the Ferraris, Lamborghinis, and things like that, because I would have loved done it in something a bit more exotic, because I pretty much knew I'd need to keep it the rest of my life as a conversation piece. You're right. We needed something that had a strong but adjustable suspension so that it could balance out the weight of the additional fuel cells that we were going to use, because it's really important to maximize your fuel range and then extend it so that you don't have to stop as often, obviously. And then every sort of anti-cop countermeasure device that you could ever read about, find, or build, we had that. And so the, you know, it looks like a mission control center in the cockpit of the car, but the Mercedes worked really well because that's really what they're designed to do is get in, go fast, be comfortable, and not break. Now, were you the only driver? Is there any rules about around the Cannonball Run record that you have to be the only driver? Or was there two of you? Did you have a navigator? There were two of us. There's not really a governing body for <laughs> illegal outlaw cross-country road racing. Despite the, uh, Guinness actually won't officiate the record because it can't be done without breaking the law. But it's really just this crazy fraternity of lunatics that we all sort of know each other and talk about it. And you really just had to prove it to all of them. And I suppose Google is sort of the efficient of all this. I read before when you first did it, speaking of law enforcement, you got pulled over nearly immediately? Well, it was actually earlier that day before we left. So ah. we left at 9.55 p.m. on a Saturday evening. But uh, we were scouting routes out of New York. And among the devices that we had in the car, we had several navigation systems and iPads and iPhones running, you know, Garmin apps and Waze and Trapster and all the different traffic applications and things like that. And it's so much data to bring into the car that we were inundated with it. And my co-driver, Dave, claimed to be completely impartial as to which navigation system he preferred, but he is a big user of Waze. Yeah. And as we were trying to find the Lincoln Tunnel and the most efficient way to get there, it asked us to make a left and then an immediate right, and then it would get us there somehow faster based on user-uploaded data. What we found that was uh, an illegal right turn down a one-way street, and I was immediately pulled over and questioned by the police and had to break out the Southern charm and the used car salesman uh, tactics and talk my way out of a ticket there. But fortunately, we did. Did they see all the devices you had in the car? Did you get questioned about that? Fortunately, we were kind of in the middle of a busy street and we were very clearly disoriented and not from around there. And so uh, we were fortunate that I don't think he had a lot of time to worry about all those things. Not like some of those backcountry Georgia cops. If you're not from around here, that's doom. Exactly. Yeah, that's <laughs> where the revenue comes from, right? Yeah. Can we talk about laying out the trip when you laid it out? I would guess you left on a Saturday night because that was when on Sunday traffic would be lightest. But how did you navigate around all the cities as you went across the United States? So obviously, essentially controlling the uncontrollable factors are what made the margin by which we beat the record possible. And they're really what make the trip possible. So finding the times when you'll pass through the major cities where you'll have a lower likelihood of traffic, less construction, less bad weather, and things like that. So there's really three routes you can take, 20, 40, and 80. And 40 is the most traditional. 
And at that time of the year, it was really the only one that was possible because there was snow in Colorado. But we did mostly 40, and we wanted to make sure in leaving on Saturday night that we were through the Midwest by the time everybody was waking up on Sunday to go to church. And then Sunday is obviously the lowest traffic day of the week. I know on I-40, I live not that far off of I-40 where it hits Little Rock, and I know there's a huge construction zone. How did you plan out some of these construction areas? Well, we looked at times of the year where construction was the lightest, and so couldn't do it when it's too much in the winter, where obviously construction is almost always stopped, but because you needed to avoid any inclement weather in the Northeast. But we looked at every kind of traffic application that we could, and we used some spotters throughout the route. I had one guy in Pennsylvania, one guy in Ohio, one guy in Missouri, and one guy in New Mexico, which we knew were the areas that were most likely to have construction in the event that we would need to reroute. And so they would run about 150 or 200 miles ahead of us and just call us if there were any issues with weather, traffic, cops, things like that. Oh, cool. Did you suffer many slowdowns? We didn't. We were fortunate to be really the best prepared team that's ever tried to do this, only based on the information that we had to go on. We had Brock Yates' book that came out in the early 2000s about how he and Gurney had planned it and uh, you know everything that had gone into Cannonball in 71, 72, 75, and 79. We had the U.S. Express information and Alex Roy, who was the previous record holder's documentation of it. We had Richard Rawlings from Gas Monkey Garage on the Discovery Channel. His interviews and conversations with him about what it was going to be, what essentially doing the trip was like. Mm. And so with all that knowledge base to go on, we were in a better position to do it. But success still hinged on not running into a big traffic jam, not having an accident in front of us that jammed things up, not having bad weather that slowed us down. And we got unbelievably fortunate with all those you know, some people listening might be thinking, what does this have to do with financial planning? But the fact that you used so much past data, did so much research, had so much good help around you that you used, that you didn't just have laying around, you used all these people and you laid out this plan that took months. Just there's so many correlations. I've got this question that, that I've been wondering about for quite a while, which is the astronaut question, right? What did you do when you had to go to the bathroom, man? <laughs> Usually the first question is, how do you not get arrested? And the second question is, what about the bathroom? Right. And so that was something that we were really curious about because hey, essentially guessing how your body's going to respond under those types of conditions is really difficult. And so we had facilities on board for such needs, but fortunately they were not required. We ended up stopping every two or 300 miles just on the side of the road to switch drivers. And it uh, turned out to be a very convenient opportunity to relieve ourselves. <laughs> Excellent. You know, it's funny. You said that number one was not getting arrested. And number two was about the bathroom. I had some joke about going number two, but I wouldn't be crass and use that joke. So another financial. Well, fortunately, it was not required. <laughs> How expensive was it? Let's talk about money here. How expensive was this dream, Ed? Was it expensive to modify the car? I'm assuming it was a car you already had. It was. I've had actually a few cars over the years that I intended to use for this record. And for one reason or another, I ended up selling the last couple. But about midway through 2012, I decided that it was really time to do this. And I bought a Mercedes CL55 off Craigslist. And so I did have the car and I'd been using it as a daily driver, but it was really bought with the whole purpose in mind of doing this. And I tried for a long time to avoid adding up all my costs because on one hand, you have to treat this kind of as a startup business because 
there's a lot of the same business factors that you encounter in trying to plan something like this. But on the other hand, it's still a recreational activity and a crazy thing that we do so that we can talk about things at parties. But <laughs> I think it probably cost me somewhere in the mid 40s to do it all. Okay. Well, if this is a dream that you've had forever, really, I consider that to be a fairly inexpensive dream. Well, and like I said, you know, it wasn't something that you can really do to immediately become profitable with a marketing angle behind it and things like that. Nobody's ever made money from breaking, holding, or participating in this record, except probably Brock Yates because he's, you know, got the movies and the books and things yeah. like that show for it. I'll probably write a book about it at some point more to, you know, keep track of my thoughts on it in my own head than to profit from it. But the real takeaway for me and what kind of kept me going is that this is that one thing, that crazy idea that I could do that would both resonate within my industry and in my interests and really paint the picture about myself that I wanted people to see. And what picture is that? Well, it's just someone who wanted to invest in not the selling of cars necessarily or the owning of cars or the traditional outlets of car usage, but just as a member of the Atlanta and Georgia and national car community, just somebody who wanted to add to this compelling part of automotive Americana, but also just somebody who wanted to pay tribute to everything that, that the record stands for. Yeah. So, I mean, in a lot of ways, then, even though there isn't a financial component, you didn't do it for financial reasons. And the fact is, it does help your career, I would assume. And the fact that you might be able to write a book, those are things that financially, I think you'd stand to gain from. It, there are, and I believe that it will. It already has. I mean, you know, sure. everybody that I've ever sold a car to read my name in some newspaper or heard it on some radio or television <laughs> program. But I think, you know, it doesn't matter what your interest is or what your industry is. There's probably some absolutely preposterous and ludicrous proposition that you could have or do that would resonate in the same way. Whether you're a hedge fund analyst or a financial reporter or a subway franchisee, it doesn't matter. You know, there's always something like that that you could do that nobody else has thought to try. Oh, dude, you got to reach really, really far to get crazy in this industry. I'll tell you, it's, you got to reach really far. <laughs> My wife, when I was a financial planner, refused to go to the Christmas parties because she thought that they were so boring. Nothing more boring than a couple of financial planners talking about bait and standard deviation drunk in a corner. I don't know. The Wolf of Wall Street made it look pretty sexy. <laughs> yeah. Don't get me wrong. I like naked people and uh, swearing as much as the next guy. But wow, there was just a little bit of that. How do people find you, Ed? Obviously, I'm at the dealership most days at Lamborghini Atlanta. We also sell McLarens, Aston Martins, Lotuses, and things like that. My website is edbolian.com, Twitter, Instagram, all that, Ed Bolian, easy to find. And I'd love to hear from anybody who wants to talk about it. Yeah, and I heard the two-for-one Aston Martin special you were saying is going on right now. Oh, you guys, you just missed it. It was uh, ended yesterday, unfortunately. <laughs> I heard they have those all the time, though, so probably just wait for the next one. Hold your breath, right? That's, watch the coupon books. I'm sure we got a Groupon special coming out soon or something. Well, my last question for you, Ed, is this. If somebody's listening to this and now they have this brand new dream of beating your record, what advice would you have for them to help them beat the Ebolian drive across the United States? Well, the first piece of advice that I got from Alex Roy and the guys that I spoke to who had already done it as I was planning it is be careful because one of the coolest and perhaps most surprising things about this record is that in the 40 years that people have been trying it, no one's ever really been hurt. One woman broke her arm running off the road in 75 
but it was a single car, really non-incident. But it takes a real strange obsession to follow through with something like this. And it took so many years, so many dollars, so many painful days of preparation to make it possible that if you're not 100% sure you want to finish it, then I wouldn't suggest starting. But I definitely want to hear from people, and I have, of people who are interested in the record and the idea and hopefully one day breaking it. I found the group of people who have done this in the past to be extremely helpful to me in speaking about it and answering questions and helping me to understand what I was in for. And I'm happy to serve as that to anyone who wants to talk about it. Well, hey, Stackers, if you're an active duty service member, a veteran, DOD civilian, or a military family member, guess what? You can join Navy Federal. And that means if you've served in any branch of the military, you can join Navy Federal Credit Union. On average, Navy Federal members earn and save $3,611 more per year. You could pay no fees, get low rates and rate discounts, plus earn cash back and grow your savings. Have a large credit card balance after the holidays? Let Navy Federal Credit Union help you rebalance your priorities. Make a plan to do away with high-interest credit card debt by transferring your balance to a Navy Federal credit card with a low-intro APR and no-balance transfer fees. You can pick the right card to help you take back control. Visit NavyFederal.org. That's .org. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Insured by NCUA, dollar value of Navy Federal's 2019 member giveback study, 25.9-9-18% variable APRs based on product type and creditworthiness, up to $1 cash advance, transaction fee at non-Navy Federal ATMs. What evil lurks in your human resources department? What career-bending madness awaits in your inbox? Better benefits? A pay raise? How about a severance package? It's time for What's Evil in HR with the evil HR lady herself, Suzanne Lucas. Did you know that one of the stupidest financial decisions you can ever make is to take out a loan from your 401k? Sure, your HR department may have told you how fabulous it is. It's your own money, and when you pay it back with interest, who's getting that interest? You are, not some big evil bank. Sounds great, and it is, except for one catch. That loan becomes repayable in full immediately should you leave your job for any reason. And any reason includes being fired, or laid off. So even if you love your job and never want to leave it, if your boss stops loving you, well, then your loan is due in full as soon as they hand you that pink slip. Just say no. Why? What happens if you have to turn in the loan and you don't have great gobs of cash sitting in your bank account? Well, the IRS is going to come after you for taxes and a penalty. If you could afford taxes and a penalty on your 401k loan, you wouldn't be needing a 401k loan in the first place. Just say no. Another financial tip from your HR department is to keep track of your vacation days. Why is that a financial tip? Well, because what is vacation? It's free money. Yes, it is. You get to sit on your rear end and earn the same amount of money that you would as if you were at work. But 
Many companies have a maximum number of vacation days that you can accrue. Additionally, some companies have a use it or lose it by year end. If you don't use them, you are throwing away free money. Yes, it's free money. You don't have to do anything. Stop throwing it away. Keep track. Know how many you have. Know how many you can accrue. Another thing is a lot of companies and all companies in California will pay out any accrued vacation when you quit but only up to that maximum number of days accrued. So keep track, take your vacation by the time you hit your maximum number of days, and don't make foolish financial decisions. If you want to figure out what in the heck your human resources department is thinking, come visit my blog, www.evilhrlady.org, or follow me on Twitter at RealEvilHRLady. I'm Suzanne Lucas. All right, Len, let's walk over to the shortwave. You've never been down here in the basement. What do you think about my dad's shortwave here? I think it's pretty cool. One thing I do have to say, though, is the cobwebs have got to go, Joe. But check out this. If I press this button right here, we get the greatest minds in personal finance writing on the air. And let's start in Atlanta, Georgia. It's Paula Pant from Afford Anything. Well, hey. Hey, how's it going? How about that? Len and I in the basement together. Is that creepy or what? You know, I've come to expect it from you. <laughs> That's why. Hey, we're... that reminds me. Can I interrupt real quick? I mean, since we're right here, I got to tell you something kind of on this path. You know, I was at work today, and one of my colleagues, she was lamenting the fact she hasn't had a boyfriend in quite a while. And she was lamenting to me. She's like, she's like, Len, why is it so hard for women to find men that are sensitive, caring, and good looking? And I'm like, I'll tell you why. It's because those men They're already gay. have boyfriends. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> See, Sandy, you already knew that. Yeah, I'll mark it down that the round table went off the rails at two minutes and 14 seconds. <laughs> is that a record? I don't know, but who is that that keeps talking? Oh, Led, you know who that is? That's Sandy Smith from Yes, I Am Cheap. Yes. Hi. I'm so happy to be. Wait a minute. I'm not in the basement. Sorry, guys. Not trapped in the closet with you. You are not trapped in the closet with us. <laughs> Well, apparently, Len and I are out of the closet because we are sensitive guys. We're good-looking, sensitive dudes, right? I can appreciate that. Yes. So, Sandy, uh, snow or no snow? Frickin' ice, man. Yeah, not good. Not good at all. I've had to dig my car out about four times already in the last 48 hours. Not fun. Yeah, here in Northeast Texas, it was like 38 degrees. You know how bad that stunk? Listen, listen, 38 degrees is hot right here. So, shut up. <laughs> I just thought kind of, we could. kind of like the basement. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's freezing down here. Hey, speaking of, I don't know, I'm trying to do a transition here. Speaking of freezing, that doesn't work, but let's go with it. We've got a great post from Len's blog that we're going to talk about today, which is 33 reasons why your finances are a complete mess. Len, are your finances a complete mess? No, mine are not, actually. They're in great shape. Well, why are you accusing your readers that their finances are a complete mess? <laughs> Because if I said, why are mine in bad shape? Nobody would click. That is very true. So, <laughs> but, but when I accuse others, they get angry and they want to see why. Yeah. So what's the deal? Apparently you and the honeybee are neat freaks, but the kids, not so much, huh? No. 
Kids are terrible. And I assume your kids, when they're in their teenage years, you knew how messy they were. Hopefully, tell me yours were messy too, they, as messy as mine. They have halos over their head, Len. Never, are you serious? No, not at all. I'm not serious. <laughs> My daughter was home for the weekend from the University of Arkansas, and within seven minutes, it's like a nuclear blast went off back there. Uh, same here. And it, boy, does it drive me up the wall. I don't know how people live that way. Yeah. When I was a teenager, maybe it's because I was a nerd. I guess I'm still a nerd, but the nerdy kid in high school, my room was always neat. I made my bed. It was just, I don't know. Sometimes I think they're adopted. Uh, Sandy, do you think, <laughs> Sandy, do you think Len's a nerd? Um, I thought that went without saying. Come on. <laughs> shouldn't, have, shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Shouldn't have thrown you under the bus. Hey, so, I was yes. ahead of my time on that one, Sandy. That yeah. Not I, egotistical I, I, when, at this was all. Before, when I started, all the personal finance bloggers were anonymous. Oh. They were anonymous. Golly, Paula, here comes the good old day stories from Lynn. <laughs> we went through this the other day, didn't we? The throwback. I know, that we had Sandy. You the other day. Now I'm doing it with Len. I got to stop hanging out with you old people. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the day, you can tell Len's getting into mom's hooch in the other side of the. I'm sorry, what? He's going to be past. He said hooch, hooch, hooch. What is that? That's some Easy. Term. What Easy. is that? What is that, Joe? It's a reference to alcohol. Yes. As opposed to. It is. Right. It sounds like it's a reference to something Easy. else. Easy. Yeah, this is a G hey. rated program. Show. That's right. It's not anymore. It's not, Joe. Have we ever had a roundtable this bad? I'm not sure. People driving are like, boy, to this. So hopefully, though, people's finances aren't as messy as your kid's bedroom. So, Paula, there are 33 here. Pick out one of these 33 that you like, and let's chat about it. All right. One, actually, that resonated with me a lot is if you're disorganized, your finances are likely to be a mess. So, you know, oh. if you, in general, look like a bomb went off in your room, or if you live your life the way a stacking Benjamin's round table sounds, <laughs> man, you're a mess. You're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, wait, I am guilty. I am a disorganized beast. However, when it comes to my money, it's a whole different thing. I was about to ask about that, that you don't know anybody who's an exception to that rule, but Sandy, you'll say that you are? What? Are you kidding me? Organized chaos in my life. My laundry doesn't get folded. It stays in the dryer until I'm ready to wear it. That's how disorganized I am. But your checkbook is neatly managed? I don't have a checkbook. That's this right. This is why I don't have a checkbook, remember? We talked about that last week on the show, didn't we? That's right. Yeah. I don't have time to balance checkbooks. I can't figure that stuff out. I don't have a checkbook. <laughs> yeah, what I found interesting about that point, Paula, that you made, though, is that when you're disorganized, I mean, half of being successful with your money is being able to read the dashboard. If you're driving down the road, it's like your financial picture is a dashboard. And if you can't find anything, how are you going to be able to do a good job of spotting mistakes or opportunities? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, so the way that I conceptualize this is if I'm disorganized and I'm routinely losing my belongings, I'm just going to have to run out and buy the same thing again. So I might have to buy the same pair of shoes like three times because I just can't find where I put them. And oh, if you're losing your shoes, you've got a whole, you've got a bigger problem if you're losing your (laughs) shoes. We call that Alzheimer's. (laughs) Sandy, let's pick on you. We got 33 here. What's one of these that resonated with you? resonated i've got to even find it where, where len hides this crap um, <laughs> it's under the frito bag in my son's i was room. i was busy reading the comments on it because i can't believe people actually still visit your site <laughs> actually okay. that's just it nobody visits my site anymore 
Number two, you're too busy to track your income and expenses. This falls under budgeting for me. And I know every personal finance person tells you you need a budget. You have to have a budget. You've got to track everything. But I said the other day with Joe when I took over his other show, I don't have a budget. Yeah, but you still track your money. You track. I track my expenses. Yes. I, you know, for my bills. So not my daily expenses, but my bills that I'm paying down. But I don't track every expense. Have we talked about that before, yeah. Paula? Have we talked about do you do you track your expenses? Yeah, we've discussed it previously. I really don't believe in budgeting. I'm Amen, a big believer. Sister. High five. High five. I'm a believer that you skim your savings off the top and then just spend the rest. So decide what you want your savings rate to be, 20%, 30%, 50%, whatever it is. Just jam that money right off the top, and then whatever's left over is left over. You can spend it. Len, you're an engineer. You, I'm with Paula. Yeah, but Len, you're an engineer. You have to budget. See, but he's crazy. Uh, not anymore. It's a whole different no, thing. No, no, no. I don't budget anymore. But I fastidiously track my income and my expenses, but I no longer budget. You know, I remember, guys, uh, Paul and Len, when we talked about this before, and I think my opinion has changed on this a little bit. I think that budgets depend on who you are. Like if you're just starting out, a budget is wonderful because you really have to get a grip on exactly where every penny goes. And doling it out envelope style or whatever it takes is a huge part of the win, I think. I mean, do you think that this idea that people shouldn't budget, people should budget, it really more is a it depends answer? I think if budgeting works for you, that's totally fine. But I don't think that we're going to help anybody who, like, just by sitting here and admonishing people for not budgeting or telling them that they need to fit into the budgeting mold, I don't think that's helpful. If you happen to have, be the personality type that already does it and already takes to it really well, then it's for you. Like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But it's not a necessary solution. Well, there goes the rest of this podcast because the rest of the show is going to be spent admonishing our listeners for not budgeting. What do we do now? <laughs> what do we do now? <laughs> Len, I know it's your article, but what one of your favorites on here? You know what? I'm going to go to one of my favorites on here is just, you smoke. You're a smoker. Oh. And the reason for that is I was looking at prices of cigarettes. I mean, I don't know many people that just smoke one or two smokes a day. You know, they're usually a pack or two packs a day. Have you seen the prices of cigarettes in the United States? $13 to $15 in yeah, New York so, City. Yeah, so I'm on a site called The All, A-W-L.com, and they listed in all 50 states the price of the pack of smokes. Well, the cheapest state, anybody want to care to guess what the cheapest state is for a Virginia? pack of smokes? Mississippi. What's One of the Carolinas, maybe. It's in the South. Mississippi. Kentucky. Hmm. $4.96 for a pack of smokes. Anybody want to guess what the most expensive state is? New York. It's got to be New York. It's New York. $14.50 a pack. Now, if you oh, smoke it's a on sale. If you smoke a pack a day, which I think is probably average for most smokers, that's almost 5300 bucks a year. If it's a two-pack a day, that's 10000 bucks a year. That is a significant chunk of your income, of that's, the average That's money to income. burn. It really is money to burn. I will Ooh, so agree with you very... on this one. I was never a fan of King Bloomberg of New York. However, his whole smoking secession initiative, I was all over that. One, because it stunk. And two, because that crap is expensive. You know what? I think I'm not advocating, but I think other green leafy smokables are cheaper than cigarettes in New York. You know, I used to smoke, but it got expensive, so now I just burst into flame. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm here all week. Tip your weight staff. Right. <laughs> yeah, is that horrible? So I like some of these other ones. You never read the fine print lens before signing on the dotted line. I mean, how many times does that bite you in the butt before you learn a lesson there? Oh my gosh, that bites everybody in the butt. Come on, everybody, raise your hand. I know everybody in their cars and out there listening right now. Almost all of you are guilty of this. Even I'm guilty of this at today, even though I try not to. Because you don't have the time. Okay, I'm going to sign it. I'm going to check that box on that internet that says, hey, have you read our policies? Yeah, yeah, just give me what I'm buying. And boy, does it bite you in the butt. Yeah, I think there's people that get what I've seen in my time as an advisor, and there were always forms that clients had to sign, whether it was with me or for a new mortgage or an estate plan. They always acted like they felt kind of embarrassed to sit there and read it, like they were holding everybody up. My thought is, if that's you and you feel embarrassed, just request the contract ahead of time. So if you're going through an estate plan, ask them if you can have the details a day ahead, or if you're going to refinance your house, ask for everything you're going to sign a day ahead of time so that you can go through it point by point before you sign anything. And, and I'll tell you what happens. You do that a few times, you get used to it, then it becomes easier if you're in there re-upping a cell phone contract or whatever it might be. That might be one of the smartest things you've ever said. I'm impressed. <laughs> One out of every 20, Sandy. One thing out nice. of every 20. I'm on that 20th. Yeah, you got lucky, babe. So you routinely float checks right before payday. That's a scary one. I actually know someone within our families that my wife and my families who does that, one of our brothers and sisters, I will not say in case they listen to the show. Nobody um, listens. Go ahead. Say no, it. Nobody that's, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you hate comparison shopping. That's a good one, Len. I need it right now. Yeah. And again, you know what that comes down to again? And there's kind of a common theme in many of these, but laziness, it comes down to late. A lot of these things that I mentioned in here come down to the laziness factor. Well, and maybe it's laziness or maybe it's not having enough. You know, I think a lot of people grew up in a household where their family didn't really manage money. So they're not sure how much time to spend on it. And maybe they just don't spend any time. I mean, Paula, do how much time a week do you spend just managing your money? I spend quite a bit of time going over my net worth. Once every three months, I'll compile. You swim in your money like Scrooge McDuck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Do <laughs> you really, of, Paula? Like springy board and just swim. No, <laughs> no, no, not literally. <laughs> oh, it's so disappointing. But yeah, once every three months, I, I sit down and I spend two to three hours um, going through every single asset and liability. I mean, in terms of comparison shopping, I don't really do that, but largely because, I mean, I don't really buy anything. Like, what am I going to comparison shop for? Cat food? No, I'm just going to go to Target for that. You know, toilet paper? Like, yeah. really? Is the cat food for dinner tomorrow or the day after? <laughs> <laughs> so bad. Sandy, how, how much? You're having for dinner. Yeah, Sandy, how much time do you spend managing your money? Not that much because I don't have any. That's a so good So it makes answer. life easy. Fantastic. Len? Yeah. That is the honeybee's responsibility as the CFO of my household. So I, not very much, maybe uh, a quick conversation with her once a, maybe once every couple weeks. <laughs> That's it. That's all. Well, you guys are disappointing. Hey, all those of you listen, <laughs> listening at home, do not do what any of these three Well, people. no, you know what I think that reflects, <laughs> Jeff, yeah. is again, that we're organized. So if you're organized, once you have things set up, it doesn't take a lot of time. That's it really true. doesn't. That's true. That is true. Once you automate your finances, you can basically, you like Juan Popeil, set it and forget it. 
But I think there's something to be said, Sandy, with what Paul is talking about, which is that act of doing it manually. Now, doing it manually sounds like a pain in the butt, but on the other side, I think it gives Paul a time to think about strategies and think about what might or might not be some options for her money. Oh, yeah. I'm not advocating not looking at it at all. In fact, I'm the wrong person to do that because I publish every month on my blog. I go through my entire debt, what I did that month, what I didn't do, what I should have done. And I list everything out. So on a monthly basis, at least, I'm looking at my numbers and rejiggering. I think that's often enough, I think. I think rejiggering is my new favorite word. Paula, I mean, what's the reason you do that? Is it because you don't like the automated system or is it because it gives you a little time to think about strategies? It's both. I like watching my net worth. I like seeing how it's grown and how it's changed. It's especially fun in an up market, which we've been having for the past couple of years. Yeah, wait till you do it this quarter. <laughs> so, but yes, I mean, there is a reason, like you said, doing it manually as opposed to just logging into a screen and looking at it. Yeah, it gives me the satisfaction that I've got that greater accuracy. But yeah, I think you're right. It gives me a chance to think about it. And to make strategic decisions, like if I've got an extra $30,000, let's say, do I want to use that you as a down give it payment? To me. <laughs> <laughs> do I want to use that as a down payment on another rental property or do I want to use that to pay off one of the rental properties that I already have? Like that's the kind of stuff that I'm thinking about. I'm not comparison shopping for bananas are cheaper at Kroger than they are at Publix. Like I'm not really concerned with that kind of small detail stuff. I prefer to think more strategically. And I think So can we talk about something on this list that I know Len is lying about? What's that? Okay. This one line is complete BS here. You play the lottery. If anyone is out there who doesn't admit to buying a lot of ticket when the Powerball and the Mega Millions is at $200 million, I'm telling you now, you are all liars. I am putting that $1 or $2 out there to make sure that I get a chance at getting 100 or $200 million. Oh, I think with our audience at large, you're nailing it, Sandy. But I think with this group, I think you're probably wrong, Paula. Do you play? Come on, Paula, there? you don't play the lotto. Admit it. No, I, I don't play the lotto. There's yeah. uh, the one... I don't believe it. Piece of gambling that I do. No, it's true. It's true. There is one thing that I do, one event that I participate in, which is my high school, as a way to raise funds for the school, sells 2,500 raffle tickets. And if you win the raffle, then you get like a car or some other prizes. That's the closest thing that I do to playing the lottery is I buy a raffle mm. ticket. Lend and really, I see it as a charitable donation to my high school. Well, and the, the lottery is a charitable donation to whoever wins. Len, do you play? No. <laughs> yeah, I th yeah, I thought not. I don't play either. I don't like this group. I don't like any of you. Wait, wait, Who are you people? Sandy, you said it. I'm like, I think you're exactly right when it comes to the world at large. You, I want to tell everybody who's listening not to listen to the show again because these people, I don't know who they are. Everyone who I know is getting a lot of ticket. When that bad boy was half a billion dollars the other day, yeah, I don't know anybody who wasn't getting a ticket. The CEO of my company, the guy who's taking home big bucks every year, was getting a lot of ticket. Come no, on, almost everybody I know does too. But this group, Paula, Len, and I, and I'll even throw Greg in there. I'm sure do do not buy a lottery ticket. Yeah. And you know what? If you just play it once every. Blue Every moon. That's not what dollars? that's not what that's yeah. talking about. Second, there are people I know people, very close people to me, who cannot help themselves. They they spend a huge portion of their paycheck every week playing because they just think it's their ticket to riches. And that's I, no matter how hard you show the math, doesn't matter. I you spend know. both dollars we make on this show. Um, <laughs> 
lottery lottery. You're up to two dollars now. <laughs> <laughs> Almost. Thank you, Gemstep. Right. Hey, guys, we're a little bit over time, so let's go around the horn. Len, you and I are going to talk about what's going on at lenpenzo.com later in the show. But Sandy, what's happening at Yes, I Am Cheap right now? Well, actually, let's not talk about that. For those people that didn't hear Sandy last week, let's talk about your cool project. My special project is The Color of Money, located at thecolorofmoney.net, where a group of personal finance writers, not these people because they're too boring, are contributing articles teaching people of color, black, white, red, green, yellow, doesn't matter, about money. And actually, I let Joe in the door, so he's on the site, too. That is crazy. She's got this podcast. So, Paula and Len, you're in because you know me. How about that? <laughs> I always said Noah and me would come in handy one day. Hey, Joe. Yeah. Can you take your hand off my knee? <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> It just thank you. Dad shortwave is a little, uh, you know, romantic. Paula, what's going on at Afford Anything? I'm going to talk about why my savings rate is completely meaningless. Excellent. You'll have to tune. I realize that's enigmatic. You'll have to tune in to us to find out what I'm talking about. Well, you know why? Afford Anything.com. Yeah, well, I already know why. It's because Will's going to buy a lottery ticket. He's going to win, and you won't need to save. Because you don't buy lottery tickets, he does. It's that high school raffle, man. <laughs> that's, that's exactly it. All right, guys. Thanks a lot for playing along. I guess you guys are going back into the closet? No, we're just going over to the table for uh, Len and I to talk movies. Mm, fun and times. Then, yeah, and then Joe's taking me out to dinner. <laughs> Candlelight. Does the honeybee now? Candlelight dinner. <laughs> Letters, Len. Letters. Really? Letter or letters? Let, actually, plural. Who knew? Yeah. That's awesome. The Pony Express just pulled up out front. And you know, I'm having so much fun here, Joe. Isn't this great? Isn't it weird, by this the way, is, being this on is... this end of my dad's shortwave, too? Yeah. Hey, I hope your mom doesn't mind. I grabbed a big old turkey drumstick out of the fridge. Oh, she'll blame it on me. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be my fault. All right, here we go. So the first uh, letter was actually on our Facebook page. Our Facebook page, Len, is I Stack Benjamins. That's uh, www.facebook.com forward slash I Stack Benjamins. And it's from Kelly. Kelly says, hi, I've been enjoying your podcast for about six months. Love the show. And you guys have great chemistry and great guests. I don't know if you know this, Kelly. We don't do chemistry here. We do finance. Finance. What <laughs> <laughs> heck is that? The washer going off? So you hear that? Kelly says, I have a personal finance. Not sure if it's a show idea, but I'm sure it's something other people are struggling with. My husband and I were kicking it as far as getting out of debt until, listen to this, Len, until the birth of our first child. And then we had sticker shock when we realized just how much child care would cost. Pretty much all of our extra money in the budget that had been going to debt reduction went to daycare. Then, guess what happened? Baby number two came along. Kabam. And now we're pretty consistently in the red every month because of daycare costs for two. What ideas do you have to save money on child care what formula should couples use to decide if one makes to decide if one person should stay at home or not thanks and i love the oh i can't i can't say that she says she loves a part of the show len that does not exist so uh we won't talk about that but anyway so tell me you guys did that the honeybee decided to stay home what kind of calculation did you use well, first thing you do is you you got to know how much she makes in a year. So, uh, and then you figure out your childcare calculations, and then it's kind of like uh, you subtract the two, 
And whatever money's left, that's your real income, basically. That's what you end up working for or the honeybee was working for. In our case, I think at the time she was making, I, you know, I can't, it's been so long ago. It's been like uh, 16 years. I think she was making 30000 a year or something like that, 25000 a year. And childcare would have eaten up maybe 10000 of that. So for 15000 it just wasn't worth it. Well, Len, let me take a stab at that, too, because I know that it's difficult, not just for Kelly, but for a lot of families. The first thing to remember is that what you're going to find is that it's going to be tough for a short period of time. I'll tell you what the miracle was for our family, because having twins, we were right there with you, sister. And the tough thing for us was having twins go there. But then kindergarten started. And I'll tell you, the great thing about kindergarten is that now I only had to pay for half a day of daycare. And I remember feeling like the heavens had opened up and the sun was finally shining down on my pocketbook. So remember that it's for a short period of time. You definitely don't want to cut your child care expense in the case of having um, worse child care, but certainly there might be ways that you can do it more cheaply. And one of those ways is a lot of companies have flexible spending accounts that will allow you to take the first $5,000 that you make, or excuse me, that you pay toward child care, you can put that into the flexible spending and now pay for it with pre-tax dollars. So let's say you're the average family in the 25% tax bracket and then your state tax is is 6, 7, 8%. You might save a third on a little bit of your child care. I know that probably isn't enough to make it to the black, but that's a good start. Hey, you know what, Joe? If I'd have uh, known you 17 years ago, I probably had a much bigger family. <laughs> you just cranked out kids to make up for all that savings? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for the note, Kelly. And I'm sorry, there's really no, you know, I mean, and that also comes down to, Len, looking at the other areas of the budget a lot of the time, looking at areas you might be able to save in other places. And some places that we found people able to save is through their insurance policies, that they're paying too much for the same insurance. Number two is through better tax strategies. Sometimes the way that you save, you can do it more effectively. And then the third way is in utility bills. Those are the three biggies that we found. How about on your end? Yeah, but you kind of lose it. Once those kids get into kindergarten, you'll lose it on the utility bills because they leave their bedrooms and stuff with the lights on and the TVs <laughs> going and the stereos <laughs> blaring. So there you go. You save on the child care and you lose it all on the TVs blaring and the lights left on. Yeah. Message from us, an email from Cynthia here. By the way, you can send us emails at joe at stackingbenjamins.com or send it. If you just go to the Stacking Benjamins website, you'll see an info box. And that's what Cynthia did. She said, I listened to one of your podcasts last November and I can't remember if it was new or not at the time with a very detailed conversation about a few different retirement calculators. Your guest developed a very detailed calculator as much as I enjoy your show. I'd love to rehear that show rather than go back through all of them to find it. I just spent 30 minutes trying to locate it. So what's that calculator? I think, Len, she's referring to when we had on the two guys in your money show, Vincent from PlanWise. And that would be if she goes to our website and she goes to thefreefinancialadvisor.com where we hold all of the Two Guys in Your Money podcasts and you put in the word plan wise, you'll find that show. You know, I think I like your model for keeping people on your site for as long as possible. You just make things impossible to find. I, I, that's genius, Joe. <laughs> That'll get my website traffic up. <laughs> that's the whole goal. She, I feel bad she's going all the way through iTunes looking for that show. Next message is from Craig. Craig, by the way, and this message was after he won the iPad, Apple iPad Mini. 
listen to this. I just listened to the podcast where you announced my name as the winner of the iPad Mini. I am in the Air Force and stationed at Barksdale Air Force Base. And you know where Barksdale Air Force Base is? It's in Shreveport, an hour from here. Guy's practically my neighbor. I love it. Now I, can, I love it. I can hear everybody groaning now that the fix is in because I gave the Mini to my neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you guys are sparsely populated out there. Yeah, Barksdale, that's really cool. But I love congratulations. The, I love the fact that one of our servicemen won it. That makes me feel really I, good. Me too. Fantastic. So thanks for the quick note, Craig. And by the way, he said he's not the comedian, Craig. And thank you for your service, Craig. Yes, absolutely. Next, uh, Len, we've had some cool iTunes reviews. And here's the deal with iTunes, everybody, is that the ranking on iTunes, the way that it works is this. It's not about how many people listen to our show. It's actually, which is crazy. Don't you think the rankings would be based on how many people listen to your show? <laughs> It's how many people daily click on the link to your show on iTunes, which means if they just call it up to listen to it, it doesn't count toward the rankings. It's how many new people are clicking in to subscribe or how many people are leaving reviews in a given day. So if you're going to give us a great review, go to the Stacking Benjamins page. If you're going to give us a horrible review, remember that this is the Money Plan SOS show. <laughs> that also is another horrible old joke. You know what else would help is if you could get everybody who gives a great review to do it on multiple computers. Yeah, that's, that's great. Just what we want to do is tell people, hey, here's the way to completely rig the system. Give us. You want me to put together a, like a form, like a we love the podcast, a form letter, and then everybody can just cut and paste it? That would be great. That would be fantastic. <laughs> I'll get on that. Let's go through some legitimate reviews that we have, though, because we have a couple since the last time that we talked. By the way, all you do is go to the Stacking Benjamins page once again on iTunes or on Stitcher. Lance from Money Manifesto has given us a Stitcher review. But anyway, most recent reviews, we have two. This one is a five-star review from Maddie, M-A-T-H-I, 147. I always enjoy listening to Joe and OG chit-chatting about money and all things related down in Joe's mom's basement. Joe's mom's basement is a pretty cool place to be, Len, isn't it? It is the bomb. Yes. I, I love this place. I appreciate the good humor. I'm not sure who has that, but also think it's great that they have such great guests on the show. Never a boring moment with the Stacking Benjamins podcast. Thanks for keeping it entertaining, but still very helpful, guys. Thanks for the review. By the way, it says genuine, funny, and just a great time. From JTLNJ1, informative, entertaining, another five-star review. Thanks, guys. I love listening to your podcast each week and usually more than once. J-T-L-N-J-1 just proved that they're a sicko if you listen to this more than once. How can you listen and to it more than once? Hopefully he's listening to us more from once on multiple computers. Yeah, that's right. Think of it as stereo. It's really helped me to think and focus more on personal finance and planning. Your weekly roundtable with guest financial experts like Len is great as it shows us multiple points of view on the same financial topic, sometimes varying greatly. I would say Greg, Len, varies a lot lately. Yeah, what's up with that? He's really taking the contrarian positions with us. Isn't that weird? Greg McFarland, contrarian position. Yeah, he's being surly. I don't know what, what, what's going on with him. You might think we put him on the show for that reason, but that would be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Those are the letters. Thanks a lot, everybody, for the reviews, for the letters. We appreciate it. Let's get the show over.
Wow, we did it, Len. We did it. Another show. I had a great time, Joe. This is awesome. I'm going to fly in here more often. Well, that'd be fantastic because, you know, we'll just have mom make pancakes. <laughs> what the, what the, we may or may not tell people what that is at a part of the show that may or may not exist at some point. <laughs> Give that maybe another buzz. Ooh, hey. So, I'm sorry. I'm having trouble thinking. People are going to think we're having too much fun. Hey, you saw way long on time, so let's just go through one movie review. You saw a movie this week, and I'm not going to play the clip because of the fact that we already played the clip. This is the Robert Redford movie, All is Lost. You went and saw All is Lost? Yeah. Um, I loved it. I thought it was an awesome movie. For people um, that didn't hear OG talk about it, what's All is Lost about? Okay, so... Basically, it's this adventure drama about some guy. He has to fight for survival after being lost at sea. So he's stuck in the Indian Ocean, and the movie opens up, and he wakes up, and he finds out he sees water in his boat. And it turns out that his boat had collided. His It's like a 39-foot yacht, it had a sailing vessel, and it had collided with a, uh, what do you call those things, like a cargo container? Big old cargo container. Ouch. Collided. So the whole movie, and I just loved it. The whole movie is about him trying to repair his boat and try and get to safety and all the trials and tribulations that he put through in this movie, you know, to get to safety. What's really cool about it, I think there was 10 words spoken in the whole movie. So it was really all the acting. It was just incredible. So let's talk about that because there's a couple things that OG hated about the movie and I want to just get your take on it. He didn't like the fact that there were barely any words and that was kind of annoying. Did you ever find it annoying that there was no talking? I mean, it's just one guy who's pretty much screwed. No, I mean, you know what is so fascinating, and maybe it's the engineer in me, but I felt like I could almost be a sailor after I was done with this movie. It went into such detail. I mean, you could see everything that was happening in this movie. You understood what was going on. And Robert Redford, he was the only actor in this movie. Basically, it was just him, his boat, the sea, and Mother Nature in this movie. He did all the acting through his facial expressions, and it was incredible. I cannot believe he did not get an Academy Award for this. That's what I was going to ask, because if you thought he got screwed, but the answer is yes. Yeah, well, I think he got totally screwed. I think it's hard to carry a movie by yourself. You were the only guy. That's it. It's you. You have to carry the people's attention. Apparently, it didn't carry OG's attention, but it, it got mine. And just the story was incredible. And you know what else is good is the ending. It could have gone either way. You really don't know what the ending is either. That you could have two different people watch it and come up with two different opinions on how the movie ended. So a great movie. I recommend it. How about that? So now we're a split house, everybody. Thumbs up from Len and a thumbs down from OG. <laughs> you know what? We need we need that McFarlane in here to break the tie. We, we do. Uh, <laughs> well, no, I won't even tell that joke. I will give you, because it's been a couple weeks since I've talked movies, I'll talk just very quickly, Len. I'll give you two movies that I've seen recently. One that I... Hey, easy there, cowboy. The movie number one... Time to wake up. Movie number one is uh, Charlie Bartlett. I saw on Netflix. Fantastic Netflix movie that I'd recommend. It's about a kid who went to private schools, got kicked out, but he's really just trying to get along with people. And it seems like it's always bad things kind of happen to Charlie. But, you know, when you sit back and you think about the stuff Charlie's doing, he should get kicked out. But the way he gets there is kind of funny. I'll tell you, Robert Downey Jr. is in Charlie Bartlett as Love a that. supporting actor. And it's great to see him not being the... Iron Man guy instead trying to be an ordinary dad to the love interest in the movie. Really cool. So Charlie Bartlett, big thumbs up. 
You know, and the other movie I saw was Monuments Men, the new George Clooney movie with Clooney and Matt Damon and John Goodman and a whole host of Bill Murray, whole host of other people. There are four sectors for movies, Len. There are good movies that I like, and then there's movies. I get that they're good movies, but I don't like them, right? And then there's bad movies that I like, and then there's bad movies that I just can't stand. This movie (laughs) is squarely in the bad movie that I really liked. (laughs) You're not alone. You know, I've heard a lot of people knock in that movie. They're saying Clooney's lost his uh, magic touch. So I haven't seen it yet. I thought it was really fun. I enjoyed it. I've seen enough movies that you can tell it's a bad movie. I thought it was a lot of fun. You know, and one critic I read afterwards said, this is like a 50s movie where they're heroes and everybody's kind of a caricature. And I think if you go into the movie looking for that, that everybody's kind of a caricature and it's a gung-ho, hey, we're going to do it and you know it's a feel-good movie, it's going to be great. If you're looking for the bad reviews I've heard, they were looking for like Saving Private Ryan. This movie is nothing close to This movie's not gritty. It's not sure it's about a war and it's about guys doing something that's dangerous, but it is not at all a gritty movie. This is definitely a feel-good movie where the Nazis are caricature bad guys, not the real bad guys that they were in real life. So anyway, those are is mine. Is this as bad as The Good German? Did you ever see The Good German? No. George Clooney? It was done in black and white. Terrible movie. Terrible movie. Well, you know what, hey, Pete? Hey, you know what people are comparing it to? Leatherheads. Because I heard Leatherheads was a horrible movie, again, the same way that a lot of people enjoyed it because it was just kind of goofy, where it's about the early days of football. And that was George Clooney and uh, John Krasinski and some other people. I never saw it, but it's getting favorably compared to Leatherheads, which also got panned by a lot of people. So I won't be renting that one. Leatherheads you won't be? No. Or uh, Monuments Men you won't be? It's a feel-good uh, You know what? I've got to see Monuments, man. I have to see it for myself. I'm, I like looking at traffic accidents and stuff. And seeing I'm a rubbernecker. Uh, all right. That's going to do it. Stacky Benjamin's in the books. Hey, thanks for playing in the basement, Len. Hey, thanks for having me. Next party's at your house. This show is the property of the Free Financial Advisor, LLC, copyright 2014, and is produced by Joe Salcihai and edited by Joe and Isabella Bianca. Len Penzo appears courtesy of the wackily titled LenPenzo.com. Paula Pant can be found at AffordAnything.com. Suzanne Lucas, while pretending to be the evil HR lady at EvilHRLady.com, really is a super swell human being. Special thanks to Joe's mom for setting out these little snacks on the floor. If I didn't know better, I would have thought they were dog tree. Oh, my God. You're letting that baby go for a long time. That's yeah, well, that's hey, I'd love this thing's awesome. <laughs> you want to try it? Here's you an article. <laughs> no, I don't want to try it. Here's an article from the Huffington Post. And by the way, our after shows sometimes are not for children. This one is definitely not for kids. So if you have kids riding in the car with you, you're going to want to turn. 
easy sailor that you're going to want to turn Yeah, I'm, I'm going to I'm Okay, I'm sorry. Here, All right. Take this. I, I want nothing to do with that after you've had it. Hey, uh, so this is from uh, the Huffington Post, and it's under their weird news. Wake up really? vibe. New on sale, man. What's new, that? New and on sale. Forget coffee. Here's a way for women to get a real wake up jolt. It's a vibrator slash alarm clock. You stick that baby down your panties and you set the time. And when it comes time to wake up, it's a fantastic start to your day. Oh, yeah. You know, it works good. Who thinks of this stuff? I mean, I don't know, but I want to I want to thank them. You know, <laughs> you, know, you know what I need first thing in the morning? I, need, I mean, can, can you see? You need some of this. <laughs> Can you see women first thing? I wonder what's missing from my life. I know. You know what the other funny thing about this was that I thought? It comes in three different colors. If it's down your drawers, who the hell cares what color it is? Like, I... (laughs) Well, okay. I ain't going to go there, Joe. I want the pink one versus the red one versus the green one. I mean, why why do I care what color it is if I don't see it? You're right. You're right. I don't... don't, Try this. Come here. I'm not going near that. Come here. You had your... Here. Go try it out on PK over in the corner. <laughs> no, he's got a little drool coming, going right down his chin there. Oh, that is that is horrible. There's a review, by the way, on Amazon of this thing from an unhappy customer. Well, how can you be unhappy? I don't know. I'm happy. <laughs> Wait, here's a review. Wakey, wakey, barely. Post a username lucky. If you're looking for a vibrator alarm clock, okay, you've got one. But the vibrations are weak and buzzy for a standalone vibrator. And even as an alarm clock, this could fail to do the trick. Weak? You, you, you might, hear this thing? <laughs> you might not wake that's up. That's weak? Oh, that's, that's horrible. Lucky is hard to please. Lucky is very You've been giggling the entire show. Everybody's wondering, why does Len keep laughing all the way through the show? <laughs> there it is. Mom's not going to allow you down here again. I, you know what? I'll leave this for mom. How's that? <laughs> oh, great. I can't get on an airplane with this thing anyways. <laughs> Make her so happy. Yeah. Mom comes down every morning with a big fat smile on her face. All right. I think that's the weirdest after show we've ever had. All right. Stay out of trouble. <laughs> stay, stay out of trouble, Len. Good luck going home. Thanks. See you later. Hey, let me know how your mom likes the... Uh... Yeah, I'm not even going to ask. Hey, mom, how did you like the thing? What thing? So well, tell her I liked it. Yeah. <laughs> well, Stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend, OG who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses. 
to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.